Hello everyone, welcome to another wonderful episode brought to you by the Total Space Network. This week on the Space Update, we're talking ABL Space Systems launching in the UK, Telsat's broadband constellation and the United Arab Emirates Hopes mission has successfully entered Mars orbit along with Taiwan 1. I'm your host Ryan, and join me today is... I'm Mikko, the host of Deep Dive Fridays. And I'm Rich LB, co-host of Becoming Multiplanetary here on Total Space. Okay, so uh, earlier today we put out a bit of announcement up on Twitter. Um, as you may, may or may not know, later this year, ULA are launching their new Vulcan Centaur rocket and landing the Astrobotics Perigolander on the surface of the moon. Uh, on that lander are various scientific payloads, experiments, including the names of images submitted by people from around the world, which include TJ Cooney's I Need More Moon and many others. Um, now, it's okay to land on the moon, but how would you like to hitch a ride on the UK's first ever dedicated mission to the moon? Not only that, how would you like to venture on a spider rover na- named Arismo from Space Bit? Um, sounds good so far? Does to me. Well, I'm not done yet. Space Bit's rover, if successful, will walk on the surface of the moon uh, in its demo mission. Uh, for future expeditions, and that will explore the moon's surface, plus potentially any caves or lava tubes on the surface of the moon. And Spacebit has generously offered to to upload your images, memories, whatever it may be, onto their actual rover, and it's going to the moon this year, and they're taking us with us. During the mission, Rover will walk and Absolutely explore fantastic. the moon, taking various Think, guys. news. Really exciting news here at Total Space, and we, we're really excited to be giving this news to you guys to be able to, you know, to be able to say this. It's we've been holding our tongues on it. We've been sat on the information for quite some time now, haven't we? It will act as yeah, a it's an incredible opportunity for everyone at uh, Total Space and we'll expand it to everyone else in the space community as and when we can. A um, little bit of uh, digital logistics to go on, but uh, we're 99% there. We've just got to get a few little bits sorted, then we'll uh, we'll start sending the invites out to uh, everyone. But it's an absolutely incredible uh, opportunity and uh, I'd just like to take the time if Space bit are watching. Uh, thanks again, guys, they for taking us to the moon with you, the little games. rover and everything. So, back to reality. Let's just crack on with the news. <laughs> that's, that's the announcement over. We'll bring some more updates as and when on Twitter. Um, let's just uh, kick things off. Uh, SpaceX. Um, now, we've had to SN10 running through testing, stack fire, maybe later in the week and everything. Um, Looks like they're really pushing ahead and rushing uh, with SN10 lately. Seems they've just got the cryo test done, all the engines fitted and everything. Um, they did have the TF flight TFRs down for the weekend, but that seemed a bit too uh, bit too soon. They've pushed that to back to next week or the week after now, which seems like common sense because they haven't even done a satisfier yet. And who knows if it'll be successful first time because those engines are still a little bit temperamental. Um, but uh, what you're Guys, thoughts on the SN10 so far? Well, it seems to be progressing really fast. I mean, it's not too, isn't even two weeks when SN9 crashed on the land. But yeah, there's quite clear uh, path forward. They they just need to modify the software to relight the three engines instead of two engines. So there's a backup. And I think SN10 will be successful. Yeah, yeah, because uh, 
I think it's, they'll they'll nail it eventually. It's just that header tank. Um, I just think they might be rushing a bit too soon with uh, SN10, whether they've had time to do any changes or whether they're just putting faith in the system and doing some more static fires. We've seen them do individual static fires a couple of hours apart, but we haven't seen them do rapid uh, static fires within minutes of each other, which I think they should do, um, essentially, rather than waiting hours and hours and hours until the next static fire. They should do a static fire, wait 5, 10, 15 minutes, do an, keep keep every, the engines cool, do another one, wait 5, 10 minutes, do another one. So then it just puts faith in, in those engines that they, they are all going to light up 10 or 15 ma- minutes later uh, from the main tanks and the header tanks. Sorry, Brian. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, Miko. Weren't they trialling a new thrust pack on the SN10? Sorry, not the SN10, the SN9, sorry. No, I don't think there was new thrust pack. I, I could be wrong. Uh, the difference between SN8 and SN9 was the header tank pressurization system. SN8 was autogenous, which didn't work. They didn't have enough pressure. And for SN9, they had helium pressurizing the tanks. So the reason I brought that up is because I noticed in the SN9 flight, there was a lot of vibrations, more so than the SN8 flight. And uh, I was wondering if this was due to some new change that had been put in the design and maybe even contributing to why we're seeing SN10 being delayed a little bit now because they haven't even done the static fire yet. And if there was an issue with a new type of uh, thrust back here or if there was a, a structural issue which may have contributed to why the the engine or I think the latest uh, the latest that people think it might have been coming out of the engine skirt was a turbo pump, I think it is, like part of a turbo pump housing being blown out. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, they might be, it might be because of this and they might be looking at reviewing part of the design. I don't think the the updates are coming until around about SN15. Um, SN10 is essentially a duplicate of SN9, as will, within reason, SN11, then they're going to leapfrog to... I want to say 13 or 14 before they bring out 15, because I think 12 and 13 are skipping, aren't they? Because of the uh, test tanks and everything else. Yeah, I think they are actually skipping uh, 12, 13 and 14. And about vibration that Richard, could it be possible that they had even some engine problems on the way up that would have got some vibrations? Actually, yeah, there is an effect that can be observed when your thrust isn't being expelled at the perfect angle. It can have like a, a kind of drag or like a oscillation almost. And that, that could have been it, yeah. That's a, that's a good point, actually. I noticed in this this flight uh, on SN9, there was a lot of black smoke when that uh, part from the turbo pump potentially dropped out. You see like a large puff of black smoke come out. So whether that was a factor on the when it was going on the way up, um, you don't normally see too much smoke from the engines. You obviously see a bit, but see a, a big chunk of black smoke jump out the engine. It just, seemed, just rang alarm bells for me on, on that one. Yeah, that was on the initial ascent, wasn't it? Yeah, and we didn't see that on SN, uh, SN8. I'm getting my numbers confused now. <laughs> yeah, I agree. But uh, as well as uh, SN10 and everything, we've seen uh, SN7.2 undercore, some really solid cryo testing. That's one of the test, newest test tanks um, just at the side of SN10. Um, latest test, um, the sidewalls uh, ruptured. Uh, the, 
believe they've fixed that and they're probably going for another pop. Um, whether they do that this weekend, I imagine they'll be doing it fairly soon. But Elon seems happy with the test so far. Um, so whether that's a new a new test tank for Starship itself or the super heavy booster or a combination of the two, I don't know. Potentially using that uh, new upgraded uh, three mil steel. Yeah. yeah, they are just after weight reduction. So that's twenty five percent reduction in weight if if the steel is strong enough. So the reason they they're patching it up and having another pop, Brian, is because it's not the material itself that gave out. It was one of the welds, and Elon's pretty much like, "Nah, I'm not having that." You know, the material's fine. Just reinforce that weld, and we'll go again. And that's pretty much what they're doing right now. They're just reinforcing all the welds that they saw weakened uh, because, as they said, the material itself didn't give. So they want to see how far they can push it with proper welds. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they have faith in the uh, the actual material. It's just the welds is the, the weakest point, essentially, in Starship and in the test tanks. So I think welding's the absolute key. Um, but also, just uh, jumping to... The, their current rocket, Falcon uh, 9 and Falcon Heavy. SpaceX have uh, actually been selected for the part, launch part to the gate. Gateway just got announced that last night, that one. So, but launching two sections in one launch, which is uh, quite staggering, really, when you think about it. That one did kind of just come out of nowhere, didn't it? It just popped up and was like, oh, by the way, we uh, picked uh, Falcon Heavy for, for our cargo delivery to the moon. Yeah, I think they were talking about it uh, late last year maybe around november so this was not a total surprise and falcon heavy was pretty much the only vehicle that could uh, uh, that had enough payload capacity but what are your thoughts what would be the configuration of falcon heavy for that mission i would have thought that um for that launch if it's two sec- sections of the gateway i'd imagine we potentially might see that extended fairing that we've seen in many renders from, well, just online, really, and uh, from SpaceX themselves, from that vertical integration uh, tower that they're going to be building. Um, I can't imagine they'd use the existing fairing that they've got, um, cause that's, although it is extremely big, I can't I can't imagine it'd fit the two uh, two units in for the gateway and that, uh, that payload fairing. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah, that's probable. But how about, do you think we will see... A landing of the boosters. I don't think we'll be seeing the return to the launch pad, but maybe a double drone ship landing or totally expanded mission. Um, right, I get where you're coming from now. Okay, so it's if it's going to go to the moon, obviously the the side boosters need to to give it as much altitude as it can manage and as much delta v as it can manage before they're expended. Um, I think we'll probably see a drone ship catch, but they'll be further out than usual. Um, and I also think, yeah, I don't, I, I don't think we'll see the the main stage come back. Yeah, and they're, uh, that that launch is actually targeted no earlier than twenty twenty four. So we've got a little bit of time to wait before we see all that, but. I think by then we'll definitely see the vertical integration tower from SpaceX, not just for this mission, but for some of the uh, Space Force security missions for vertical integration, a bit like uh, ULA currently has. Yeah, I think so. And the mission launch price was actually quite high. I think it was around 
330 million, but there was a mention that it will include some mission-related costs. So it's anybody guess how much the launch actually costs? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the two the two sections of the gateway, um, what's called P- PPE and Halo. Uh, the PPE section is a 60 kilowatt class solar electric propulsion spacecraft uh, that will provide power, high speed communications, altitude control, and the capability to move the gateway in different lunar orbits, providing access to the moon's surface, more access to the moon's surface than ever before, really. And the halo section of the gateway is the pressurized living quarters uh, where the astronauts who visit the gateway, uh, often on the way to the moon, will work. It will provide command control and serve as a docking hub for the outpost. And halo will support science investigations, distribute power and provide, again, communications and everything. So two critical parts to start off with the uh, the power and the living quarters, as you would. You start off with those two two parts, but that's what those two sections are that they'll be launching in twenty twenty four. Um, so still a little bit away away. Um, hopefully we'll see SLS launch before then. Obviously, get gets the moon and everything. Um, some other bits to go there prior to that moon landing. Um, but yeah, really exciting. So is their intention to permanently crew the gateway? Uh, there's a I, the idea is to permanently or partially keep it crewed. Um, obviously, if once they're on the moon and everything, they're going to need to bring scientific payloads back. But rather than bring it all the way back to Earth or the International Space Station, it'd be far easier to just analyse that data on the actual gateway, a bit like uh, the International Space Station does. Because um, why would you pick up all that scientific material put it on a ship then spend all that fuel and energy trying to bring it all the way back to earth or all the way back to the international space station uh wasting fuel money and everything i'd imagine they'll probably just keep a lot of the material and scientific evidence and everything else on the uh the gateway similar to what we've got like we've got on the international space station just to my theory anyway <laughs> run it as a lab do your science there and just send the data over yeah, why not? Why, why bring it all the way? Make make all that effort to bring it all the way back when you can just do it. Set up a an orbital lab, a bit like International Space Station. Do the science around the moon, right there on the field, if you like, and just get the the science done. And the other theory is as well, if once we get to Mars, just bring the all the all the uh, material back to the gateway rather than making the further trip back to Earth as well. So almost like an outpost. Yeah, and my comments to Rich, Rich's question, I think it's supposed to be constantly manned, but I think SLS schedule will be affecting it quite a bit. If they can't launch two, two SLSs per year, it's not going to be constantly manned. I don't think anyone will be staying there for a year. Well, uh, so, do you reckon they might end up palming off the uh, crew resupply and outsourcing the contract like they do with the ISS? Funny you should mention that. SpaceX won that with the Dragon XL. <laughs> right there. <laughs> so, by, by, by 2024, I don't know if you just lined that up for me, Owa, but <laughs> by 2024, we'll see the Dragon XL module, which is essentially going to be the cargo module and potentially a large, larger crew, crew module. Maybe they could just outfit it for a mixture of both to send two or three crew members along with quite a few tons of uh, material. But uh, I believe SpaceX won that uh, bid uh, last year, the year before. 
Um, I can't remember who else was in the running for that, but SpaceX did win the resupply to the gateway. So they're definitely one of the key roles in that, keep the gateway stocked up and going. But I imagine it's going to be partially automated and just autonomous running on its own for probably the initial, at least initial, for the initial first year or so until the other sections get installed. Yeah, and it's very much possible that there will be another commercial crew like contract it could be with the dragon capsule but it i don't think it has the necessary protection for moon travel and falcon 9 wouldn't be able to fly it there so then the falcon heavy would need to be manned mandated or just use starship if it's ready uh, human rating the falcon heavy i think we got a question about that not long ago on the BM map, I think. I think so, yeah. I, I imagine it's it's fifty percent the way there. It's just an extra two boosters on the side within reason. It so it's it'll just be a case of getting it recertified. The Falcon Heavy, because the boosters are already individually certified themselves. So I suppose the Falcon Heavy will just be a, a fairly easy uh, certification to get approval to get human rated. Basically, actually, that's a point. If they're human rated, what? Uh, crew vehicle are they going to use on the Falcon Heavy? Well, I think they would use the Dragon. Just oh. just the Dragon or the Dragon XL? The XL, because it wouldn't make sense using the well, a mixture of the two. It just depends on the, the key functions and what the capability is of the smaller Dragon. It, yeah. I imagine the smaller Dragon won't have um, integrated propulsion to head towards the moon whereas the Dragon XL might have, on the trunk of the Dragon XL, it might have a bit of a propulsion system to keep it going towards the moon. Uh, Dragon XL has one problem. It's not going to fly humans because it's going to burn up in the atmosphere or just discard it in space. I'll land it on the moon. Habitable. <laughs> Actually, you've got a good point there, Ryan. If it, if it can't be re-landed, why not just have it as a permanent fixture on a space station? could be big enough. It's quite, yeah. It'll be quite big. I mean, the Dragon... Dragon Crew Dragons is reasonably big in itself, isn't it? So you can see you can fit uh, four to five people in there with, with relatively ease. I mean, if your only other option is going to be burning up in the atmosphere, you know, why not just use it instead? Yeah, definitely. But uh, jumping on from that, uh, we could talk all, all night about SpaceX. I'm pretty sure we could. Uh, we're jumping back to some UK, more UK news. Uh, Lockheed Martin have selected ABL Space Systems for a UK launch. Uh, ABL Space Systems will conduct a launch for Lockheed Martin from a new spaceport in the Shetland Islands. Uh, fulfilment agreement with the British government announced in 2018. Uh, Lockheed said earlier in the week that ABL will perform a launch of its RS-1 rocket from Shetland Space Centre, eventually when it's built, um, and developed on the island of Unst, if I'm pronouncing that right, Rich? Push to talk. You've gone quiet there. <laughs> I can't hear you. <laughs> it's because I had push to talk on. I was saying I'm not exactly sure how it's pronounced myself, but I believe Unst is correct. I'm not, but don't quote me on that. I wasn't too far off then. Um, but yeah, uh, they're up there in the Shetlands anyway. In 2022, they're planning on doing that. Um, the rocket uh, on a mission called the UK Pathfinder launch will place into orbit a tug developed by Moog, M-O-O-G. Very strange name. I'm sure it sounds to something, but there you go. Um, uh, in the UK, uh, UK company then. 
sorry, uh, there's a company I know called Move, but they make synthesizers, digital synthesizers. Uh, apparently, they got uh, the launch and something. Apparently, then, <laughs> um, but they will got a space tug that will de- deploy uh, up to six uh, cubes. That's uh, the launch will fulfil an award made by the British government, as I just previously said, and everything uh, for d- domestic launch capability. Uh, the thirty-one million pound. Uh, contract to Lockheed Martin covered a launch originally planned for the spaceport at Sutherland um, in northern Scotland, as well as Moog's uh, orbital manoeuvring vehicle. So whether Moog's related to that other company, Rich, I don't know. It might be two separate companies entirely, and you get your wires crossed there. <laughs> but uh, a bit of a strange one, because uh, ABL Space are actually a US company, as are Lockheed Martin, uh, both coming over to the UK to launch a smaller vehicle, uh, if you want to compare it to Rocket Lab's uh, Electron. Um, but the their RS-1 rocket um, from uh, from ABL, uh, it's powered by LOX and RP-1, which is a bit of a strange one again. Um, two American companies come to the UK to launch a rocket. A lot of the companies, for the guys out there who don't know, um, the likes of Skyrora, Orbex, they're all using green eco-fuels, um, and they're all quite committed to that. Um, for, so for American companies to come over to the UK and just say, like, screw it, we're going to use LOX and RP1, it's a bit of an oddball, that one. Yeah, but the thing about this company is that they have kind of a movable launch platform. They really only need a batch of cement where they can launch. So... They are kind of in the same area as Astra or even Virgin Orbit, who can just take their rockets anywhere. Yeah, um, the Orbit, Orbex and uh, Skyro are essentially the same. Um, Orbex slightly more fixed to that. Uh, that's other the other the other parts up in um, I forget the name now. The Sutherland oh, part. Yeah. Um, Orbex are pretty much committed to that one, which is a fixed platform, but uh, Skyrora uh, got more of a, similar to uh, ABL, more of a movable platform that can be within reason, just launched out of a, a container or a flat, a flatbed truck within reason, a bit like uh, about like your rocket launchers kind of thing. So that, um, ABL Systems is a, like an integrated rocket that can be taken apart and put on the back of a truck, moved to wherever it needs to be for the desired orbit in the country. So it could could launch up in the Shetlands. You might see it come over to mainland Scotland and launch from there. Just take a pair of binoculars out to the coast at Lossiemouth and look north. Yeah. <laughs> but um, it's, again, it's exciting, but a bit of a confusing one because uh, you would have thought the likes of Lockheed Martin who were involved with ULA. Um, they're involved with ULA, so they have the far superior capability of launching anything on a on a ride share or anything like that but then i know lockheed martin are involved with essentially anything military or anything that's got a rocket rocket engine or jet engine strapped to it or anything else for that matter which is a bit of a strange one they're interested in small rocket companies great for them to support it and everything like that but it's just a bit of an odd one for me i think uh, did you know that rocket lab has some support from either lockheed martin or northrop grumman that that's one of their biggest investors. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if they still are or not, because I know Rock, uh, Rocket Lab develop a lot of their own engines now. So whether that was in the initial stages and it just pulled away from that or whether they're still involved, but we never I think they, know the ins and out of it, do we? <laughs> yeah, I think they really, really have like a share in the 
company or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And just jumping on to our next topic here, um, tell, tell uh, Constellation, um, I don't know if you heard of this one, it's likened to the likes of what uh, Amazon are planning to do, and Starlink, obviously, that's already part in part, uh, part partly functional and everything. A lot of people are signing up to it. I think you've, you've signed up to uh, Starlink now, have you, Miko? Yeah, I paid the deposit, so for me, it said it would be targeting coverage in 2022 so let's see i may get a refund or i may get the starlink and do some reviews how it works i got the same date as miko probably because we're quite high up in in latitude uh so it's going to be 2022 for me as well though i didn't put the deposit down yet because i saw the price of the hardware i was like Mm. Yeah, Miko done the opposite thing. Paid the money, they was like, oh. <laughs> I didn't see the hardware cost. Hang on Just a minute, five hundred pound. You said it was free. <laughs> yeah. But uh, Telsat Constellation, uh, it's a Canadian satellite operator. Telsat uh, announced in February the ninth. Uh, it selected sales Elena Space to manufacture two hundred and ninety eight satellites for a broadband networks. To the likes of uh, Starlink, as we were just discussing there, uh, in a network in Lois orbit. Uh, Telsat's also announced that its constellation named Lightspeed, hopefully it's Lightspeed, uh, will start offering services as soon as 2023, despite them not launching any, any of them yet. So it seems pretty sharpish, that one. Um, the $3 billion deal uh, is for the production of the 298 satellites, uh, network management software, and for the integration of the satellites with the gateways to be deployed around the world. Um, the entire investment projected for Lightspeed is 5 billion, and I believe it's gonna, gonna be launched on New New Glen, that's not even flying yet. So we've got a lot of uh, a broadband network in 2023 that's not in space, launched by a rocket that's and a company that hasn't gone orbital yet. <laughs> so, what do you think of that one? That's very uh, ambitious to be announcing something like that when there's. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, you've got to have a certain level of competition amongst all of these players anyway. Otherwise, you just had having one player with a monopoly of it. But the other players in the competition really need to start catching up now because. Now the work is actually coming, and it's coming now, and so they need to be launching now. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. But um, I imagine it's going to get pushed back quite easily because 2023 seems very, very ambitious to launch all 300 of those uh, satellites. Obviously, give it to SpaceX, and they'll have it in, what, a handful of launches, uh, six, five or six launches maybe, and they could just well, do it. If it. Hypothetically, if it was the same size, but I can't imagine it is. Well, Stinger NSW uh, mentioned in an episode with us not long ago that there are something like um, a th over a thousand starships now uh, with the recent launch that we covered with Stinger NSW. It was on that launch that the total then went back over 1,000 again. Very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> but um, it's quite exciting because we've seen all these different constellations, uh, obviously like the likes of Amazon. Jeff Bezos is planning eventually getting New Glenn launching all his constellation of broadband networks set up. Then we've got uh, Starlink, obviously, well and truly on its way and doing beta testing and further testing with everyone out in the public now. But um, obviously, uh, 
Telsat coming on board with that ambitious project. Again, it's very ambitious, but uh, do we really need this many different providers? Can't they just be Starlink? Then it's just segregated down to the different companies and stuff like that. Well, you could do something along the lines of, um, I don't know if you've heard of VMNOs, uh, Virtual Mobile Network Operators, like GIFGAF. I've heard of them, but I haven't looked into it. It's not one of the things I'd uh, look into. <laughs> well, to give you an analogy, because this does fit into the schematic rather well, uh, you have an already existing carrier network, such as Telefonica, O2, whatever you want to call them. And then GIFGAF run on them. They pay them for the use of their network and resell it as a separate service. So they don't own the hardware, but they do run on it. So theoretically, this opens Starlink to franchise opportunities if Elon was willing to do that and if the current hardware allowed for it. Yeah. I think SpaceX will have enough customers to use almost all of the bandwidth by themselves. Yeah, I think it's, I think that'd be more down the line once it's within reason, almost 90 to 100% complete, because by then the speed and latency will be just... The latency be down really super quick, and then the the speed is actually download and upload would be phenomenal. Obviously, the more Starlinks, the faster connection, faster speed, and everything. At the moment, it's very substandard speed, shall we? Shall we say? Because I get around about one hundred fifty to two hundred download, then about twenty upload, which is reasonably good. I believe Starlinks a lot lower than that at the moment. So. In the open, uh, sorry, in the beta, they've said that you can expect speeds between 50 to 150 download they never mention upload on their documentation yeah that'd be interesting sorry having a good download but if you can't upload anything especially for doing live streams and everything like this you need uh, good upload speeds (laughs) yeah the numbers what i've seen the highest go to almost 200 around 180 megabits and the upload maybe up to 40 but mostly around 20 yeah yeah but uh really fantastic that one's good uh good company to keep an eye on um as well as new glenn will be launching those satellites and everything amongst their as well as their own constellation so it'd be promising to see uh hopefully we'll see new glenn launch this year whether we will or not who knows it's a complete mystery at the moment i think we've only seen only seen the engines and maybe air fairing from new glenn yeah, I think they have few Pathfinder engines for Vulcan rocket. And yeah. I would hope they are about ready to ship the real product. Yeah, fingers crossed for that. I mean, fingers crossed for Vulcan because it's going to be launching before New Glenn, so essentially testing out the engines and then onto New, onto new Glenn. Hopefully we'll see that. Um, but more importantly, a lot of Mars missions going on this month and uh, in the those coming weeks and everything. Uh, the United Arab Emirates uh, is celebrating its first mission at Mars, uh, successfully orbit insertion of uh, of their Hope mission, and also just li- earlier on today, Taiwan One. Um, so absolutely fantastic for uh, a lot more companies and countries getting involved in Mars missions. It's always been predominantly uh, in America and everything with the Curiosity rover and Insight and everything else. And all that, but uh, absolutely fantastic that uh, that actually pulled that feat off. Uh, absolutely incredible, to be honest. I watched that that launch back in July, um, just watching watching it launch and just th- thinking, like, if they 
pull this off, it's going to be absolutely incredible because I don't believe they've sent anything towards towards Mars previously, as far as I'm aware. No, I think Arab Emirates are the second country to get into Mars orbit on the first try, and China is the third country. And the yeah. first country was India. Yeah, it's just absolutely incredible. I mean, it was launched, the Hope mission was launched back in July the 19th, 2020. Uh, arrived, obviously, uh, early Tuesday evening this week. Uh, the UAE has put a probe called Hope around the orbit of Mars and everything. Um, spacefaring, space, fifth spacefaring entity to do so and everything. Uh, the spacecraft, which left Earth seven months ago, had to do a, essentially do a braking manoeuvre. Everything before I actually got captured to the gravity of Mars and everything. So that was the most critical uh, point in that. Essentially, the 27 minutes of uh, hell for them. I know uh, curiosity and perseverance have their own couple of minutes of hell when they're going through the atmosphere. But uh, uh, UAE's few minutes of hell was uh, doing that braking maneuver to try and get successfully insert orbit into around Mars. And amazingly, they pulled it off and. The satellite uh, carries three instruments that will be observe um, the atoms and hydrogen and oxygen in the Mars atmosphere, uh, remnants of Mars from and everything. So a lot of uh, good science to be done, um, and it'll just further advance uh, the UAE's um, just technology and science, science and everything really, because they've been predominantly reliant on like oil and everything else previously to expand their. Technology, technological ability would be absolutely amazing. Yeah, I agree. And Hope is now running an initial eclipse around Mars that will come as close as a thousand kilometres from our planet and go out as almost as fifty thousand kilometres at the moment. Uh, they've got a few corrections to do uh, to trim out that orbit, um, so it'll go into a fifty-five hour orbit, um, and then it'll be trimmed down to around twenty-two thousand kilometres by. 43 kilometers orbit um so it's just not as a uh, close swooping as the current orbit uh so it's in quite uh quite a close orbit at the moment but uh really exciting though because uh, we've got uh perseverance coming up with uh ingenuity and everything so i'm really looking forward to that one uh myself um i mean it's fantastic that we've got the hope mission mission there we've got taiwan one there now um orbiting around mars uh the big one for me is uh, that Perseverance rover, because when I saw Curiosity all those years ago, uh, Curiosity is still trudging on uh, on the face of Mars and everything. It's just incredible, that sky crane, the, the way it lands. and just, It was absolutely mind-blowing just to... Because obviously we've seen various ways how how vehicles land on Mars, where they're doing the, the airbag manoeuvre, make it roll and everything like that. And we've seen countless attempts of that and failing and using parachutes and dropping dropping on there but the way perseverance and curiosity land on the face of mars is just absolutely mind-blowing to be honest it's just, it, that's what sparked my passion for space or reignited it if you like all those years ago curiosity seeing it just land on that sky crane sky crane hovering there and then the rover just coming down it's just like what the hell am i looking at here just on the face of mars all those thousands 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 of miles away i was like how the hell can you just pull that off it's incredible absolutely incredible so a couple of things one uh it's tianwen one (laughs) (laughs) two um i'd like to take a moment here to actually say in the next episode of becoming multiplanetary that's going to be releasing we're going to be beginning a mega series on rovers starting with 
perseverance and ingenuity. So uh, we're going to be covering that prior to the landing event. And uh, I am sure, Ryan, uh, on the space update that happens after the landing, we'll be covering all of the footage from the Perseverance landing for you as well. Definitely, definitely. And just to be a completely utter idiot here, I actually planned an interview with um, Dawn Aerospace on the 18th, not realising it's the same night that Perseverance lands on Mars. So there you go. Excellent organisation skills from me. <laughs> well played, sir. But uh, it'll all work out in the end. We'll have lots of great content and everything. Obviously, Rich, Rich on the the Rovers, and then uh, Dawn Aerospace and everything else, and we'll bring you guys lots of great content. But, yeah, uh, and I was thinking of doing a deep dive for Friday about the Hope mission and the Tianwen mission. So watch out for that one as well from Miko. Yeah. So we've got Miko with the deep dive into the Hope missions, and they've got Rich on the the Rovers. So lots of uh, great content coming up in the coming weeks, guys. Don't, uh, don't forget my uh, trusty uh, trusty companion, Kage. Yeah, Kage. Can't can't forget your trusty sidekick. Oh no, no, that that, that guy is my like he, he my brother, man. He's not my sidekick. He's my brother. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed the show and everything. I've been Ryan from the Space Update. I've been Miko, the host of Deep Dive Fridays. And I've been Rich LB, co-host of Becoming Multiplanetary. And as always, a big thank you to all our Patreon supporters. Uh, Warhawk, the younger astronaut, Howard Walker, Sammy, what about it to the future? Guy up, from Rick, Susie and Mako. Uh, if you would like to support what we do here at Total Space Network, gain access to exclusive content and early access to episodes like these guys and a lot more, head over to patreon.com forward slash total space and where else can you find us guys you can find us on twitter at total space net and you can also find us at the new total space towers hq i say new it's been out for a while now uh, but it's our website and you can find it at totalspace.net and on there's a merch link if you want to purchase any uh, total space uh, merch if you want a mug you want a t-shirt or anything just check that out as well that's up on the website and like and subscribe here on youtube thanks again guys for tuning in and we'll see you very soon thank you thank you